Hey there. My name's Adam. I'm one of the radio producers at Triple R here in Melbourne, Australia. Before you dive into this week's podcast, I just wanted to let you know that it's Radiothon time here at the station. What's Radiothon? It's our annual subscription and donation drive. It's the most important time in the Triple R calendar. Triple R is a fully independent, listener-supported broadcaster. All the programs and podcasts that you hear on the station only exist because of you, the listener, providing the financial support for us to do what we do best. If you like what you hear from Triple R's programs and presenters, now is the perfect time to donate or take out an annual subscription with the station. Anyone who subscribes to Triple R from Friday, August 25 to Wednesday, October 4, 2023, will go in the chance to win one of hundreds of major and specialty prizes. There's things out there for everyone. Uh, There's big major prizes if you live in Victoria. There are prizes for pets. If you want to subscribe a cat or a dog to the station, people do. Um, If you want to find out more about subscribing and hear about all the great prizes, you can head to rrr.org.au forward slash radiothon. I'll leave you now to enjoy a very special Radiothon edition of this week's podcast. Triple R's regular programming will return on September 4. See you later. Triple R. Welcome to the final uh, Literati Glitterati show for Radiothon of 2023. Uh, We're going to talk books, we're going to talk stories, we're going to talk reading in general, and we're going to point you in the direction of some top books to get your hands on, which you might like to pick up from the library or from your local independent bookshop. Um, Shout out to Love Your Bookshop Day, which is happening this weekend, I do believe. Um, Huge show today. We are celebrating the majesty of the mind the neurodiverse mind, the full smorgasbord of thinking and creating and comprehending and writing and the fruitful community surrounding that. Ros Bellamy, editor-in-chief of Archer magazine and author of their debut memoir, Mood, will be joining me momentarily in the studio. And a little bit later, legendary broadcaster and mega slashy Clem Basto will be coming in for another bite of the cherry. If you tuned in a couple of weeks ago, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, They're coming in to ask you to submit, submit, submit to a new anthology of writing by autistic women and gender diverse writers. It's coming out through UQP and it's being co-edited by Clem and Joe Case. It's going to be a fabulous one. Um, What do I want to tell you? Well, I want to ask you, you know, look, it's tough times. It's trying times. Money is short. Um, We are in the business of of trying trying to keep this wonderful radio station afloat for another fantastic year of independent broadcasting. And, um, If you subscribe to our wonderful radio station by 5pm this afternoon, you go into the running to win all kinds of ecstatic prizes. Um, Some of the best going round, I reckon, uh, a gold pass to Cinema Nova where you get free double passes to films for an entire year. Um, There's Black Hearts and Sparrows bottle drop voucher service uh, where they drop special delicious things to your place to drink for a, uh, for a little bit of time. And there's also a $2,000 sound merch voucher up for grabs, which sounds pretty delish to me. Triple R. My name is Mel Fulton. I am delighted to uh, call out the names of a bunch of wonderful subscribers to our great station. Thank you enormously to Tanya Bauer, um, my hairdresser from Preston. You should go and get your hair cut with Tanya as well. She does a fantastic job. She is subscribing to Literati Glitterati and she says, thanks Mel and everyone at Triple R for keeping our ears and hearts full of the right stuff. Long live Triple R. Here, here. Um, thank you to Tao Gardner of South Melbourne, who is renewing with a generous 
donation to Cease and Desist. Good on you. Fantastic show, Cease and Desist. If you're ever up very late or if you want to um, jump on the internet and have a listen back, there's some electrifying tunes happening courtesy of Yaz. Uh, Vicky VKM of Fitzroy is an artist renewing to Astral Glamour. Always discover new music on your show and never sure what you'll come up with each week. You sure take us to some parallel planes of reality. Keep it up, man. Love your work. We do. We love your work, Joe. Good on you. And thank you so much to Vicky VKM. Uh, Fuzzy, the amazing sloth rider, um, who a band who is subscribing to Respect the Rock, also with a generous donation of 50 bucks, um, has written in with the message, I'm currently in the thriving metropolis of Charters Towers, Queensland, but I always love tuning into Triple R when I was in Melbourne. Thanks to everyone for volunteering and keep rocking. Thank you so much, Fuzzy the Amazing Sloth Rider. Absolutely obsessed with you and the name of your band. Um, Adrian and Ella from Fitzroy North have uh, subscribed to the station. Thank you so much. You can always subscribe to the station if you can't fi- um, if you can't pick a favourite show. Um, that's always a good idea. And something else that I realised you can do, and which I in fact did this year, is you can subscribe to the live at Triple R. Um, program which happens every Friday night between seven and eight it's a wonderful thing to get behind and to subscribe to um thank you to Alex Maxwell of Helia Tasmania who has subscribed to Breakfasters loving the morning banter and the music us too um Alinta Co from Melbourne is subscribing to the station so is Harriet Bratt Michael Dean who is subscribing to On the Blower and the Chops from Callista um are subscribing to Astral Glamour as well so thank you so much to all of you. Melbourne's own Triple R. On Triple R, Literati Glitterati, my name is Mel Fulton and it is my great pleasure to introduce to you our first guest on Literati Glitterati this week, Roz Bellamy. Uh, Roz's debut memoir, Mood, is forthcoming with Wakefield Press. Um, it's out next week, in fact. Uh, it was long-listed for the 2020 Kill Your Darlings Unpublished Manuscript Award and shortlisted for the Scribe Nonfiction Prize. Uh, Mood explores the intersections between mental illness, Jewish and queer identity and intergenerational trauma. Roz is also the, editor, the editor-in-chief of Archer Magazine and recently completed a PhD at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University, researching the impacts of engaging in life writing on mental health and well-being. Welcome to the show, Roz. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, it's a delight to have you. Roz, I thought you could maybe kick us off by talking to us about your your lifelong love of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> and what that show has meant to you. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, it's how I met my wife, so it will always be, you know, in the good books for that. Um I think as just a really nerdy, um, introverted teenager, um, it was just an escape for me um, from regular life. Um, it wasn't the vampires and the monsters. In fact, I've like my wife and I have disagreed on this. I was like, I always fast forwarded some of the stuff with the big bads on each season because I was more about the relationships on the show. Um, but for me, it was just, I guess, Sunny Day was like a, such a breakaway from my Sydney life um, as a teen where I felt like I didn't really fit in and all the characters didn't fit in. And um, I found community through that. So my wife and also a lot of friends who are st- I'm still really close to. 
Yeah, can you talk to us a little bit about this, um, you know, this fan page that you met your wife <laughs> on and that you met many of your friends through? Yeah, um, so it's called The Kitten Board. It still exists, but it's kind of died off, which, you know, 20 years later, like you'd expect it to. Um, and really gung-ho Willow and Tara fans, so the lesbian couple on the show, um, came on there. Um, I joined and my wife did around the time that Tara, unfortunately, had been killed off. Sorry for the two decades late spoilers. <laughs> um, so the, the, the board was in like an intense state at that point um and there was like sections to the board so there was like fan fiction um I did some fan fiction my wife did um there were also like lots of posting board sections um there was stuff about like when I knew about realizing you were queer and I'm like oh no (laughs) because I hadn't really I hadn't put words to it um I was like 18 and just kind of like oh wait reading like post after post like oh that's uh, oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a funny thing I feel like uh I you know when I realized I was queer I went back and looked through my catalogue of kind of Sarah Connor <laughs> fandom and yeah. other obsessions and went oh okay cool like maybe there are a couple of yeah. maybe there are a couple of hints there maybe maybe it was trying to tell me something yeah <laughs> um so I mean jokes aside I feel like um something that's really uh powerful and that comes through really strongly in in this book that you've written is um, the importance of having people around you who can reflect the best parts of you back to you and who can kind of be a sounding board and a reminder and and people who can kind of um you know who can guide you on on your path and mm. I think I think mood is a really beautiful ode to those relationships and particularly you know your wife and some of the people that you met on the on the kitten board um can you tell can you tell me a little bit about um you know you've written this you've written this memoir it it goes very deep with some, you know, with some really, I think, I imagine some really traumatic moments for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're moments that you experienced and that you shared with these people that you love. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process of of writing the book um, mm. and negotiating that with, with the people around you? Yeah, um, it's such a good question, I think, because as you were saying that, it made me think about masking um, with neurodivergence and like presenting a particular way. And so even just while all this was going on, um, so like my mental illness and like most severe symptoms and things like that, I was still presenting to the world as like, I've got everything together. Like I was still mostly going to my day job and like, um, you know, a lot of people in my life didn't know this stuff was going on. Um, I only really confided in a few people um and so I think um writing the book is an interesting process because it it like it turns the, the spotlight onto that when um during 2016 2017 I would kept that like more firmly in the closet than anything to do with my sexuality ever was like it was locked away and really like I guess now it's like oh okay time to have some conversations about this period that I um, used to keep the lid on. Um, and that's not just about my mental illness. It's about a lot of stuff that went down during that time. Um, and people I've met since it too, like I've made close friends in the last few years. And, um, there's this interesting sense there too, of like, here's my book. Um, feel free to ask questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like, I mean, I suppose, um, the act of writing a memoir, well, I'm really curious to hear, um, what, 
what you believe makes up a good memoir because I think that so much of this book is um, it's almost a conversation with yourself that you then present to a reading public and it becomes a conversation with those people. So mm. what, what was important to you when you were writing this book? What did you want people to, to take away from it? Yeah, um, I think the thing that really got me into memoir is this American writer that not that many people know here, like I don't know if her work came over here so much, um, Emily Rapp, um, and she was writing a blog first and then books um, about her young son um, having Tay-Sachs disease and passing away from it. And that's the first time I read nonfiction that I was like, oh, my God, like this is incredible, what an, what a story, but also this is the genre I think I want to write. Um, so I think for me it was like you can't, step away from tragedy you can't step away from grief um those are things that we often in society and in the workplace um try to hide or like um you know we like we're all trying to figure out boundaries and figure out like when is okay to talk about these things um but I think for me memoir is like that's my place to do that um for myself but then like once I did that work like okay now I can have those conversations with others um so it was like kind of threefold steps I guess it was like going through it with myself doing a lot of therapy as well um and then getting to a point of like having enough distance from it all to actually put it out there um because if I'd published this earlier it would be a very different book and like definitely not one I'd feel comfortable talking about I think it needed like a lot of yeah time and thinking time and distance Mm. um seems seems central and knowing when uh when enough time has passed that you that you have that perspective to reflect I think um I do you know you mentioned uh that you were talking that you know that you had therapy or that you were having therapy and the role of therapy in this book and, and your experience of seeking out different psychologists and psychiatrists is, is quite central to that book and it's quite, it's quite exposing, I think, of where we're at as a society and as a culture in the way um, we regard people's, people's wellness and, mm. and in the way that we look after people. Can you tell us a little bit about why, um, you know, why it was important to to speak about your experience and and what you think Mm. that might reflect more generally about where we're at as a culture. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we just had Are You OK Day, um, that annual day for asking the question without necessarily having the resources um, to support what the person needs if they answer no, that I'm not OK. I think I kind of wanted to show that I'm quite a privileged person and still the journey was that intense and and took so many like attempts with going to different therapists to figure myself out and what was going on Um, and I think I wanted to speak to that because there is this sense and I see it a lot in online spaces of people saying go to therapy or that person needs therapy or someone sharing you know screenshots receipts of like some dysfunctional relationship and saying that partner needs therapy and I'm like "Mm, yes but also therapy isn't always the answer or at least not right away. It often needs a lot of time and fine tuning. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think people have the money or um, sometimes the energy to go through that. Um, and I see that all the time. I see, and like I've had conversations with people about this book and they love saying that like their family members need to go to therapy in mm-hmm. response. Like they start talking about family members who should be going to therapy. And I'm like, absolutely. But therapy structurally has a lot of things wrong with it. Like whether it's psychology, psychiatry, you know, through social work counselors, um, 
I don't know, there's like lots of structural things that get in the way. There's even like here in Australia trying to get the mental health care plan sorted and get your additional sessions and it all depends on which government's in power. Like there's so many things getting in your way so you can have the absolute best intentions but still get stalwarted and have to keep working at it and working at it. Absolutely. And I think that something that is central to what you're saying right now is um, is is that focus on sort of individual responsibility that we are in charge um, of our mm. own minds and our own care and something that is abundantly clear when you read Mood, um, you're grappling with being a graduate teacher um, and sort of trying to maintain, uh, trying to sort of hold on within the pressures of a new job, quite a demanding job, often quite an under-resourced job. Mm-hmm. Um, and while, you know, trying to have a, you know, a relationship, manage the various sort of cacophonies that we're all sort of experiencing and negotiating mm-hmm. as we move through life. Um, and that itself can be challenging enough, you know, but they're... they're yeah. Yeah, so I guess I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the tensions between, you know, that idea of like individual care versus like community care and and structures as well. Mm. Yeah, I think exploring structures was really important to me and not something that I went into the the writing thinking about, but definitely kept coming up. And I was like, the institutional aspects of it is something that like definitely came later in the in the stages of writing it and going, oh, wait a minute, being in the school setting feels really similar to some of the things going on in hospital or mental health care settings. Like they're all facing the same system, the same issues, which is like a lack of money, you know, maybe policy that needs updating, maybe politicians that need to understand better or have more nuance around mental health. Um, and it was just, I guess, as a teacher, there's that same pressure to like fix things, like be everything you possibly can be to your students, um, you know, educate them, but also support them, be there for their every need. But then it's just this terrible thing behind the scenes where teachers don't have that themselves. Um, and I mean, it's a crisis. I would absolutely say that. I see the education unions posts still come up for me and I'm like, oh, my God, like they're, they're, they're desperate basically for teachers and then like the government will throw more money at something. Currently it's like that they're going to pay people's postgrad fees to do teaching and I'm like, no, that's not it. Like mm. like for me that's not what what the issue was at all. Like there's so many things and I think if they, like you and I were talking before this and if – a bunch of us ex-teachers came and talked together, you know, we could probably come up with an amazing whiteboard of like, what were the things that got in our way? Like what made us leave? Um, You know, I'd heard in my grad studies that like teachers leave within the first five years. And I was like, I don't want to be one of those. And I was, you know, Mm -hmm. I made it through two years of grad teaching. um, And I felt ashamed that I didn't last longer. Um, I really wanted to, but I just was like, I can't do this. And so, yeah, I think, um, I think those structures and institutions, like there's so much that each of us feel a pressure to fix or like that we need to just be better, like be better at my mental health, be better at the job or whatever it is. But there's like bigger things behind the scene that are making it really hard to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a dance, isn't it? Mm. Um, if you've just tuned in, you are listening to Literati Glitterati on Triple R. Uh, my name is Mel Fulton and I am joined in the studio by the marvellous Roz Bellamy. Um, it is the final day, in fact, of Triple R's Radiothon. Uh, you've got until 5pm this 
afternoon to jump online to rrr.org.au and throw some money at us, if you can, to be in the running for some great prizes. Um, some wonderful people have done just that. And we're going to pause for a second, just read out their names and acknowledge them because it's a wonderful thing that they've done. Thank you so much to Jane Gosden of Warrnambool, who has subscribed to Breaking and Entering. What a fantastic show. Uh, Kirsty Magnuson of Hamlin Heights um, has subscribed to Neon Sunset. Rachel Negus of Forest Hill has subscribed to Zero G and she has sent a message. A huge fan of Zero G. Thank you for your incredible, unique work. Where else would we hear all these geek moments? So brilliant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love Zero G. What a fantastic show. Uh, David Blakely of St Kilda West um, has subscribed to Stolen Moments and says, love your work, John, Jane, uh, from David in St Kilda. Um, Ros, have you got a couple of little I do. messages to read yes. out over there? Okay, so I have a few wonderful people too. I've got Simon Ponyface from Dramana. Um, I've got, uh, who's subscribed to Maps. Nick Chapman from Bomaris, who's subscribed to Double Bounce. Claire McCowan um, from Coburg, who's subscribed to your show. Yay. Love your work, Mel. Um, Evan Owens from Seaford, who subscribed to Respect the Rock and said thanks for the interesting talks and banging tunes. Zachary Tarrant from Brunswick West, um, who subscribed to Press Colour. And James Hurley from Box Hill South, who subscribed to Off the Record. Ah, what a wonderful thing. Uh, we've also, look, they're, they're coming in thick and fast. It's very exciting. Uh, Jarvis Wales of Preston um, has subscribed to the whole station. Good on you. Uh, Tony Tibbles of Fairfield has subscribed with a generous donation as well to Vital Bits on Saturday, the Saturday show of Vital Bits, not the Sunday one, which I love. Uh, Fluffy <laughs> the dog um, has subscribed <laughs> to Radio Marinara, which is a wonderful, I mean... I've got a couple of dogs that love the ocean. I uh, know you've got a couple of... How are your, greyhound, how are your greyhounds with the sea? Yeah, yeah enthusiastic then anxious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a sensible way yeah. to be. Um, yeah, Fluffy the dog has subscribed to Radio Marinara, which is wonderful. Cheers, mates. You're the top dog. Uh, and Jeffrey Knowles of Bendigo has subscribed to Banana Lounge Broadcasting. Absolutely wonderful stuff. Triple R. On Triple R, uh, my name is Mel Fulton. You are listening to Literati Glitterati. We have got Roz Bellamy in the studio and they are talking about their fantastic new memoir, Mood. Roz, can you talk to us a little bit about the process of writing the book but also the process of editing it um, because it's a highly personal book. It's something mm. that you reflect on in the process of writing it that, you know, you'd stay up late at night, getting thoughts down, processing them and that that was sort of an important tool for you at the time. Mm-hmm. How do you move from that mode into a mode for you know, for a general readership? Mm. <laughs> it's such a good question and probably one I'm going to have to deal with working on my second book as well, which I'm like, oh, it, it takes a lot of work. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's, uh, there's, that's like a long, boring answer I could give. I'll do the, like, <laughs> the concise <laughs> version of that. But I guess um, having a good editor is so pivotal to the process. Um, and I worked with Joe Case, who was at Wakefield until recently. Um, I know Joe is going to be mentioned a bit later in the show um, about the upcoming book um, with Clem Basto, which is incredible. Um, but Joe is just such a delight to work with. Um, she completely got my book. Like, she connected with my writing before the book, and then she 
understood it even when it wasn't ready um, and just worked so patiently with me and so respectfully. Um, I think in my acknowledgements, I have like this <laughs> maybe one line for everyone else and like Joe gets like a big meaty paragraph. Um, go just, Joe. <laughs> yeah, go Joe. I'm just so grateful. I think like someone who is intuitive and patient and kind um, makes all the difference. And in publishing, it can often not be like that, um, unfortunately. And so, yeah, I think it for me, it was, um, I mean, I, can be a taskmaster on myself so I definitely had like a high um level of like care to to getting it professional and um and in shape but then I think realizing that that's gonna all get um like pulled apart during a publishing process you know like whether it's through a structural like set of changes um or even just things that you um you know thought were working and aren't um and then not being too precious during that process and going okay like I'm gonna sit with this and collaborate and um see what comes out of it and I'm you know very proud of where it's ended up um but I think yeah taking it from that late night writing (laughs) to a published book is definitely a process I like it now feels surreal I'm like did that all happen how did it happen so (laughs) it's a wonderful thing um I feel, you know, this book is, I suppose, primarily it, it is about your journey to a diagnosis. Is that, is that sort of fair to say, um, you know, yeah. um, and, and all of the, you know, and sort of everything that happened along the way um, we had uh, we had another writer on the show a couple of weeks ago, Nadine J. Cohen, who sort of her book's called Everyone and Everything, and mm. it, it, it acknowledges that it's never about that one particular moment, but the entire life and the lives of many around you that have led to this point. Um, but I guess it is a personal book. It is a book um, that that deals with the di- with the process of being diagnosed mm-hmm. and it also deals with uh the impact that um that has on the people around you and mm. i wondered you know rachel your wife is a central character in this book how do you negotiate what is what mm. is yours and what is shared among you yeah or uh, between you at one point i made the comparison of like having to consult Rach during the process and checking that everything was okay with her. Um, there was this scene in the show, the crown where like they're trying to get policy, right. And like the, 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 the royalty are like running back and forth to like check in one room with one ambassador and like, it's a ridiculous comparison to make, but I'm like, that's how it felt sometimes where I'm like, here's where I'm up to with my edits with Joe. What do you think of this? Is this scene workable? Do we need to cut this? Um, and so there was a bit of that, like not in such a dramatic way maybe but just uh, trying to be respectful and then I guess like giving her credit that she's letting me put so much out there about her and her story like we met when we were 18 and so we we're now almost 40 um that's like the majority of our lives now is has been together not apart and so there's so much of her in it you know, that's just intrinsic to my story. Um, and she's a private person. I was a private person that's turned memoirist. Um, so navigating that as a couple, um, and making sure she's comfortable because we don't know who's going to read it. You know, there are people that she wouldn't share some of the information with, like that will read and take that in. And so I think just being open about it, but making sure, yeah, that it feels good for both of us. I think it's an incredibly generous and spirited thing uh, that you've both done to write, to write this book and, and to, stare down, to stare down some tricky moments and to sort of, you know, to work to, um, 
tra- transcend them, I suppose is the word, you know, to like to move to move them beyond the literal moment of what happened to, to become mm. something that can be shared. And it, it feels like in the community there's an enormous hunger for um, for memoir of this kind and for people who talk to the to the specifics of their lives um, so that we can understand the the breadth and depth of of our community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't always the case, you know. There weren't always so many sort of own voices, stories available. Mm. Can you talk about the the importance of, of memoir in that way? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it has changed so much and I think our collective understanding of it has changed as well. Um, that, you know, there was a time where there were these online sites like ExoJane that were like, taking people's most um, traumatic experiences and, like, not paying them adequately and then publishing it online and then not giving the author support when they put those pieces out there, like personal essays I'm talking about. Um, And so then there was a period of, like, pushback of, like, oh, we're making particularly, like, a lot of young women, a lot of marginalised writers, um, their stories are being bought for not enough compensation and we're exploiting them. So there was, like, this big pushback against it. We're now, I think, maybe past that again where it's, like, cool, we can have our memoir and our personal essays, but let's also be really cognizant of how damaging sometimes it can be, this process. Um, so I think it's, like, it is incredibly important to have the stories. I think, though, that, like, there needs to be things in place as much as possible. And I think publishing probably will need to change and keep up with that. Um, I don't, like, from what I hear, I've had a great, I'm with a small publisher. Um, I've been really lucky. I have really lovely contacts there and a lot of support, but um, I know it's not always the case. Um, I'm, I'm sure being with some of the big publishers too like you're just another writer um it you know the the work that you're publishing is just um oh god it sounds so bad but like content in a way it's uh, you know art sure but like another book um and so there might not be the care taken with the individual writer um and I think for us to have these stories out there there needs to be care um because it's just so personal and so um, yeah, so exposing. Um, and I've, another person, I don't write as, about her as much in the book, but another really key person for me has been my sister, Jess. Um, she's in there a little bit, but um, don't worry, Jess, you'll be in future books more, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but she's like a key support in my life and she's in the arts. Um, she's a playwright and um, I've had her voice, uh, you know, along the years as well about like the process. And I think hearing from someone else who's in the arts and has like, you know, a bit of like cynicism, but also like support and and care has been really helpful for me because when I first started publishing, I was just like, cool, like everything's great. I don't have to worry about things. And then like, I think you need to have some caution as well. Absolutely. But I think as well, I mean, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to pick up a book and read it and and see and see yourself and that doesn't not all books have to do that absolutely mm. not but there's, there's an incredible comfort and a sense of freedom and a sense of permission um, that I think that I think books like yours provide for people um, and and I wanted to ask you you know as we finish up like mm. who is who is this book for who would you like who would you like to read this book who would mm. did you have somebody in mind yeah um, I think I mean. I think people who, like, who either have mental health stuff of their own but also loved ones who want to do better by people that they care about who might be showing symptoms of things, um, I think probably come to mind. Um, like, one person who was pretty influential to writing this is Kate Richards, the writer who wrote Madness. And I remember reading that memoir 
um, and being like, oh, you can be this, you can make yourself this vulnerable to help other people. And I think she does a lot of that in her work. Um, so I think for me, it was like, okay, I can make myself uncomfortable and share some things and maybe it will reach people who otherwise might not pick up a book about mental health because, you know, they deal with it enough themselves um, that like they might not want to read more about it, but I wanted to make the book, um, yeah, something that they can pick up that they can like um, learn from, but also feel connected with like, I guess, a sense of community in that. I think that um, I'm so glad that you brought up Kate Richards' book. Her book, Madness, is an extraordinary memoir and I would recommend that everybody read it. Um, that book was also quite extraordinary because it, it almost served as an instructional text for people who were in the care industries, mm. you know, for people who were providing care for people who um, who needed support with their mental health. And, and I think that Mood, um, I think that Mood offers the same kind of... Um, the same sort of spirit of instruction and care and feedback as somebody who has lived it. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So thank thank you. you. That's so kind of you to say. No, not at all. Um, Roz's book is called Mood. It comes out next week. It will be launched at Readings in Carlton with the fantastic Maria Tamarkin on Friday the 13th of October. Um, You can just rock along to Readings, but it is always good to jump online and register that you're going so that they can make sure that they've got enough like soda water and glasses of wine (laughs) and things to keep you um, entertained and delighted. Roz, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mel. I loved it. Ah, no worries at all. Um, Please stick around if you're listening out there. Uh, Clem Basto is about to join us in the studio to talk about another excellent collaboration and anthology that they are working on. They want your submissions. I'll tell you more in just a moment. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I guess it's about a good time to introduce my next guest and we might read out a couple of winning subscribers right now. Um, Clem Basto, welcome. Whee! What a treat Not to have you. It's so nice. <laughs> You're live and alive in the studio with us. Uh, it's so good. Thank you so much for the do-over. Oh, it's a pleasure to be in your esteemed company. Um, Clem, of course, is one of the hosts of Superfluity. Fluid? I can never <laughs> say it. Please help me. <laughs> Superfluity. Thank you, Superfluity. It's fine. You just need to not stress, relax into it. Um, Clem is also a fantastic writer educator, all-round slashy. Clem's going to be talking to us about an exciting new project that they're working on very shortly, but right now we're going to read out a couple of cool subscribers. Yes, Please are, do. including Kit Kennedy from Northcote, who has renewed to Radio Marinara. Welcome back. Uh, KB Buzzer from Elwood has renewed to Full Circle and says, big ups to 3RRR. Uh, Spark Digital from Baldwin North are new and renew, uh, um, subscribing and breaking and entering. And Keith Bonifacio from Malt Albert is new and a donation of $15 to the whole station. Thank you, Keith, and welcome to the Triple R family. Love it so much. Um, thank you heaps to Andrew Hadley from Collingwood. He has renewed to Primal Screen because he knows what's up. What a fantastic show. Hell yeah. Yes. Uh, Mick of Osteo Republic in Ivanhoe has renewed as a business. We love that. To Vital Bits, thank you very much much and Andrew Stasiak of Rosanna um, is a new subscriber which we love to Breakfasters and he says thank you for making the morning commute to work a fun and educational one. Breakfasters forever. Delish. (laughs) Clem you're doing all kinds of cool stuff and at the moment I know that you are collaborating with Joe Case. Yes. Who we have just learned is Ros Bellamy's esteemed editor. You guys are working together to edit an anthology of autistic writing from women and gender queer writers. That's right. 
Tell us about it. We're so excited about it. Um, Joe is an old friend and colleague of mine, and we've been sort of hoping to do something together for a long time. So this is the perfect project. Um, it's essentially what we're looking for. So we're, we're commissioning some, but then what's really exciting is we're also having a call for submissions. Uh, and so the kind of broad brief is how being autistic has, you know, shaped your life and experience. But within that, there's so much room for people to play around. And we've already had some really interesting queries and submissions around different sort of, you know, forms of life writing. Um, and I just think that there are bound to be some really exciting voices out there who we haven't heard. And there are some that we just don't hear, you know, I mean, uh, as a person, as an autistic person who is for the most part speaking, you know, I have a much louder voice in the conversation than, um, non-speaking autistic people, people who use, you know, augmented alternative communication. So there are real opportunities, I think, for some, um, different voices to, to enter the, the convo, which is just a really exciting, it's a big privilege to be editing a collection like this. So um, there's another month or so, a couple of months, I think, until our submissions close. Um, it's through uh, University of Queensland Press. Um, so I'm just, it's kind of like Christmas. I'm like, Ooh, you know, soon they'll all start coming in and we'll get to read them. It's um, so exciting to think about what might come in and for that um, to consider the sort of breadth of voices uh, that we hope will contribute to this and the sense yeah. of play, you know, and the openness that, that is possible here. Absolutely. I mean, one of my interests and I guess a big part of my PhD, which I, I'm now officially a doctor, Ooh, um, la, Dr. Clem. <laughs> was the idea of writing that is sort of autistic in nature, so not just writing about autism. And I would say I did a bit of that in my book, Late Bloomer, but you know, ultimately that is a book for a general readership. Um, I sort of, there was a limit to which, to, to the extent to which I felt like I could really let rip um, in a way that I hope people will be able to in this um, context. Uh, but then there are also going to be others that are, you know, um, highly kind of literary, very, you know, theorised pieces. Like I think there'll be a real spread. Um, and what is autistic in nature is different from person to person. So for me it's very associative, lots of brackets, lots of semicolons, lots of, you know, like lots of dashes. paragraph long sentences that drove my supervisors crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I know Joe, for example, you know, read, read her writing and it's just so well put together and a real kind of literary hyper-focus, I guess. So that's exciting too. I think that there's something um, particularly um, – interesting or worthy or you know current and important about hearing from a chorus of of voices at one time yeah. um it's a really interesting sort of time stamp for where we're at culturally uh for what is happening in the writing community and what is also happening in the autistic um and genderqueer community mm. um can you tell us a little bit about that process? Like why is now the right time for, for this anthology? I think there's a, an opportunity here to move beyond the way that autism is kind of storied in the general, you know, dialogue. Um, I wrote a book about diagnosis. Most most of the kind of significant books about autism in the last couple of years have been, at least to some extent, um, I mean, you know, mine was was more about kind of rethinking my life through that prism of yes. diagnosis. However, the kind of, you know, controlling idea of it was late diagnosis. And so that has been a theme, I think, because people are interested in it. You know, it is a newer thing that these that people are being diagnosed later in life by virtue of having been missed. Um, but it sort of necessitates this view of autism, which is very clinical in its focus. You're sort of constantly referring back to um, the diagnostic history of the condition, which is not 
pleasant. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it stretches back to the 30s in Germany and Austria. Um, and so I think an opportunity for autistic people to speak uh, autistically without having to kind of constantly refer back to the DSM, you know, like, mm. um, and that was something that I kind of was trying to do with my PhD while being sort of cognizant of the of the idea that it was sort of a, you know, again, it was kind of a first. It's like hopefully the next PhD will be using my creative writing, you know, potentially um, artefact as it's uh, what they're researching and they won't have to talk about all that DSM stuff. Um, so I think kind of moving away from that medical model uh, and towards, you know, not necessarily a kind of superhero model either, but something a bit more nuanced where it's not just... Um, struggle or, or brilliance. It's kind of somewhere in between, which is what most people's experience of autism is. Yeah, absolutely. New frontiers, but also um, writing without limits, writing in a way that feels true and authentic to you, that yeah. they're the voices that, that we want to hear. Um, I feel like now is a good time to interject and remind people in case they do not know, Clem has written a fantastic book. It came out in 2021. It's called Late Bloomer. It has a majestic cover. <laughs> the um, sparkle book. Yes, I'm very passionate about good book covers and this is rainbow and sparkly and utterly delightful. Clem, can you remind people or let people know what what were you focusing on in your PhD? Like where, yeah. where does that sit next to your book? So my PhD was called, is called, um, so in inverted commas, a quote, I can't describe what I'm feeling, which is a quote from um, Point Break. Uh, reframing autism and Hollywood action towards an autistic screenwriting practice. So it's currently, you can read it now. It's in the RMIT research repository on their website, but I was looking at my experience as an autistic screenwriting practitioner, but sort of in a um, number of different, I guess, kind of timelines. So going back and looking at how I kind of taught myself screenwriting essentially by watching particularly Hollywood action films. And so then also by virtue of being autistic, interpreting them in different ways. So there's a chapter which is kind of my um, autistic ways of viewing these films. So looking at things that are outside of, you know, there's a really strong Hollywood action scholarship community, but but beyond that, this kind of critical construction of them as in like popular film criticism as empty of meaning, um, you know, repetition, a lot of ways that autism is also, um, you know, kind of critically constructed as being empty, echoing, uh, and so then looking at how, as I became a screenwriter, I kind of came to learn that actually I was doing things wrong according to these orthodoxies of, you know, screenwriting practice written by, you know, dudes in Hollywood who've never actually made a film. Um, but, yeah, and then I sort of combined all of those in this very wacky um, screenplay document, which I have all these kind of interjecting voices on, like the kind of voice of the the orthodoxical red pen and then my voice kind of interjecting with that and it's pretty unfilmable I think but it sort of turns into a classic action film um so you know I was really just I guess advocating for myself but also broadly for more understanding of different approaches to screenwriting practice you know we live in an era where Screen Oz, Vic Screen, like all of these funding bodies, broadcasters are now very committed to diversity and inclusion, which is fantastic, and to this idea of own voices. And I have actually been really lucky in that, you know, I've, I work on a show which is coming to ABC called Spooky Files, um, and I've had a great experience, but I know of autistic people and other people with disabilities and, you know, lots of different people who are brought into writers' rooms for their lived experience who have not had that experience. Mm. Um, so essentially I was sort of just saying if we are going to be committed to including people in the industry, we need to make sure that it's a safe experience for them. So 
their approach to writing, you know, in my case, emotion is not necessarily wrong. It's just different and that maybe that has has value as well. So Absolutely. just a small, <laughs> just a huge structural change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got to go big. We've got to go big and we've got to go small. Um, submissions are open until the 8th of November. Yes. And they can be sent to autismanthology2023 at gmail.com. Yep. Clem, can you tell us in the little bit of time that we've got left, I mean, you've already spoken to kind of the breadth um, and the possibilities of the things that you can write if you are an autistic person Mm. um, who is a woman or a gender diverse person. Um, Have you got in your commission pieces, can you talk a bit about can you talk a bit about those? Well, Pete, there's a lot of different approaches and, and Joe and I are writing as well. Um, and so some people are exploring a particular experience of their life through that lens of understanding of being autistic. So um, that might be something to do with a special interest. You know, for me, I'm probably going to write about my relationship with pictograms, you know, the little stick figures that you see everywhere, which I, I, I feel very um, attached to. But <laughs> we've had some other, you know, somebody um, suggested writing something about learning to drive, like there's been some graphic novel um, submissions so far. And there's a really great, we did a sort of frequently asked questions, which is on the UQP um, website, but you can also email the email address um, if there's something that you know you would like to just clarify, or if you want to know if if something would be appropriate. But yeah, we're really encouraging people to just kind of think beyond. Um, I am autistic because a person told me, you know, and also we really encourage people who self-identify are self-diagnosed. You know, we know there are a lot of barriers. Um, It's not a papers, please collection where we insist on seeing people's official diagnoses. Um, So uh, that's also something that I really want to impress upon people. It's um, it's a safe, uh, safe space for every member of the autistic community, um, not just you know, people who have been able to pay the money and been lucky enough to get in and see someone to be told. Um, Absolutely. And it sounds like um, you will be edited with um, great thoroughness and huge care and empathy as well. Um, You are with your people and you are in safe hands. If you have other questions, uh, you can Google Autism Anthology UQP or you can go to uqp.com.au. That's the name of the publisher. Um, Clem, thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us on Literati Glitterati today. It's a delight. Thanks so much for having me. So good. Um, That's about all all the time we have on Literati Glitterati this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Ros Bellamy. Thank you to Clem Basto. Um, Please do stick around and get a bit of Queer View Mirror into you. Um, They're on now. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Literati Glitterati, a weekly book show that loves a good story well told. Literati Glitterati is broadcast live on Triple R each Wednesday from midday to 1pm. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please feel free to keep in touch at rrr.org.au.